Hello, baby. Want a kiss? Welcome to the Experimental Film Podcast with your host, Ken Hess. Teaching a parakeet to talk is fun, but the old method took too much time and patience. This record is specially designed to teach any healthy, normal parakeet to talk by using a scientific new method that is acknowledged to be far superior because a carefully trained voice, specially chosen for excellence in clarity and diction, repeats over and 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 over the same words, the same phrase, in a manner that most parakeets are most likely to imitate. Check experimentalfilm.info for information, interviews, and episodes. For the next few seconds, this record will be silent. This podcast is dedicated exclusively to experimental film and its makers. Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Experimental Film Podcast. Today's guest is Keisha Martin. Keisha is a filmmaker whose narrative films explore the dark and often comedic stories of women. While her experimental films focus more on the creation of images, utilizing different visual mediums, and then digitizing them, exploring animation, stop motion, 16mm, projection, and so on. A creative at heart, Keisha strives to bring the world of filmmaking to others so that they too may find their own creative voices. Keisha, welcome to the Experimental Film Podcast. Hi, Ken. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. My goodness. You've got quite a body of work for a young woman and young film, <laughs> young filmmaker. I'm pretty excited to uh, talk to you about it. But first, let's have you tell a little bit about yourself and your work. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I am currently a MFA graduate student in the film program at um, Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Um, I'm scheduled to graduate this August. Woohoo! Um, so I'm excited about that. And yeah, I've only been ever in the um, student filmmaking world. Um, I would do some side gigs with like commercials and working on some professional projects on the side, usually during the summer when I had a little bit of free time. Um, but yeah, I've mainly been in the student world. Um, and I'm currently uh, gearing up for graduation and will be heading out to Nashville, Tennessee. Oh my God, why the heck would you go there? <laughs> I have a few friends there. Um, so I'm heading there as a starting point and then we'll see if I stay there or if I move. <laughs> oh man, friends don't let friends go to Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Nashville is a, it's a beautiful town and mm -hmm. I've actually spent some time there when I was a kid and then I also spent some time there oh gosh three or four years ago and um, it's like I say it's a beautiful city and I had a great time and I oh my gosh I walked probably 15 miles in one day my Fitbit decided that I was a different person I think <laughs> yeah I think you'll tell by my work as well I appreciate the Midwest so much because um, I'm born and raised in Ohio so just like even veering out of Ohio this little bit, I'm just very excited to just go anywhere um, and see a new territory and like see that culture and those experiences. So I'm just excited. Well, sure. Yeah. And, you know, Nashville's a good jumping off place as well. There's a lot around there. You know, uh, Kentucky is beautiful. Uh, if mm -hmm. you go east out of Nashville, you know, you go over to the Smoky Mountains and to the Blue Ridge. I mean, it's it's a filmmaker's dream around there. And Nashville has a thriving film community, believe it or not. 
Yeah. And I'm excited to become part of it. Yeah. And I actually, um, I actually did a little bit of film there when I was there a few years ago. Uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting place. I, I enjoy it. Like I said, I took a bunch of pictures and somebody, somebody actually got in one of my selfies. It was funny. There's a, oh, right downtown, there's a, like a pair of giant lips sculpture. And mm-hmm. I was taking my picture with that. And some people were behind me kind of photobombing. <laughs> it was pretty funny. So <laughs> anyway, Nashville is a good time. I think you'll have fun there. It's a, it's kind of a happening place. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of great artists have come out of there, not just country, but I mean like film, rock, everything. Yeah. It's a hub. And I'm excited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Speaking of Midwestern, what the heck is Gothic-esque style? <laughs> it's something that my professors had started to say was um, my filmmaking style. Um, I love telling stories of women, like first off, but also rural stories. Um, I'm from a very rural community in Ohio. I uh, like very much appreciate that culture and but I also don't like to do the stereotypical way of showing that culture um a lot of times you see like the prime example that I always am like don't ever do this is like the wild whites of West Virginia like (laughs) uh, uh, it's just a big old stereotype of those communities and so I like to tell comedic stories then about um about these cultures and about this community that I'm from. But I also, in my writing and in my style, love dark comedy. Um, I like finding the humor in the darkness. And so the gothic element, it was, I think, my teacher's way of describing how I turn these rural areas into something darker. And so they they just kind of came up with the term of, like, gothic-esque, because it's not full-on, like, vampires and, like... stuff like that it's more so like just the darker undertones of these areas i like that i like that midwestern gothic-esque style Mm -hmm. kind of interesting it's um you know i came from a small town too i think we had at the peak when i was a kid it was about three thousand people now it's about 1500 Mm -hmm. so there's a you know there's a different feel to it it and it's true and like um, I'm very lucky in like the film program I am and currently uh, more than half of our students are like international. So like all these different perspectives um, is really great. And then like co- they are also learning though from my perspective too, because a lot of times in culture, small towns and rural communities are painted in one light. And there's aspects of that that is sometimes really over exaggerated and stereotyped. Um, and that's why I like the idea of showing these in an honest light, but also showing them in sometimes a fun, but also dark way. Yeah, I like that. I mean, there's there's lots of darkness to explore in small towns for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As you well know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the film commitment issues, which you submitted to the Experimental Film Fest, which I'm the director of, mm-hmm. it's a short experimental film um, just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so that was um, came out of actually an experimental film course that I took here at OU, um, and it was um, started with a concept of 
I was given 16 like millimeter clear film leader. And I also was an instructor for OU. Um, at the same time, I was teaching the 16 millimeter film production course um, on like a Bolex. So it was complete analog. Um, we did like analog film editing as well on flatbeds. Um, and so I was like really, really in love with 16 millimeter at that point. I'm still in love with it, honestly. Um, but at that point I was like, any project that I can do to experiment and get to know 16 in like a different way, I was really going towards. And so we were doing exercises with 16 millimeter clear leader. And I was like, how far can I take this? How thick can I make 16 millimeter and still be able to run it through the flatbed? Um, and so my teacher was like, well, not very thick. And I was like, well, I'm going to push the limits a bit. And so I started pressing flowers into it and other like bits and bops of nature. Um, and then it started turning into a piece more about like my commitment to the medium and then also about my commitment to filmmaking and about life. And just it started to evolve from there, um, especially after like gathering. I have about I have the loops still because they're, they're loop films. Um, I have I think I made 15 or so loops um, with varying matter from the earth. Um, there's one loop that it's the one I hate the most. Um, it is a loop that has bugs and a tiny dead snake that I found, um, on it. And that is the loop that I really, really don't like. It is the gross one for me to look at. Um, the flower ones are very pretty and like, uh, there's like ones that are just other plant matter that turned out really cool. Um, ones that I thought looked really interesting, when blown up and being projected through was actually, I had one that had algae that I got off a lake here in Athens. And then I had sand from that same lake. And that looked really interesting. Um, but that's kind of like how the process started. And then I took from the flatbed and recorded off of the flatbed screen and then went into digital editing that way. That's funny. How, how very Stan Brackage-esque of you. <laughs> Because that's what he did. He glued moth parts to a film and called it moth light. Yeah. And was... we watched that in that course, actually. And I think that was part of the inspiration of how I could take this that far. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. I don't think anybody had ever done anything like that before. Uh, I think people had drawn on film before, like maybe in the 20s and 30s, but I don't think anybody had ever actually pasted things to film that I know of. I could be wrong about that, but uh, that's interesting. I, I, I kind of like that. I like people who push boundaries. Yeah. And, and we did other things too. It was really, it was just a great medium for me to explore. And I was really happy my teacher was willing to keep supplying me with 16 because I, there was nail polish. I did things with nail polish and clear 16. I did things with laser inkjet printers printing on it. I did things with newspapers and magazines and colored paper. And um, there was one that I was just doodling on. Um, so it's like I really was pushing this clear leader. And then that's when commitment issues was coming about more and more towards the end there. So what is commitment issues? Is there a message there? I noticed in your short experimental films that there is sort of a message in them. What's the underlying current there? Yeah, so I would say in all my work, there is like a very much a connection personal to me, um, even if it's small or minute. Um, 
And so commitment issues to me was a lot about my relationships with other people, um, but also my relationship to like filmmaking and the filmmaking process. And a lot of what I mean by that is um, I am a filmmaker through and through. I know this in my bones by now. I've been (laughs) in school for seven years now straight for filmmaking. Um, So if I don't like it, I've made a wrong choice somewhere. (laughs) Um, And so I like have a very strong commitment to this art form. Um, And then I see where that does impact later in my life, like other relationships. And so it's this idea of this commitment to this art form is taking away from other commitments in a way. And that's at least the message within that. But most of the films all have some personal meaning behind them in a way. I like that. That's, uh, that's really cool. In fact, a lot of psychologists will tell you that a person's first book is a, an autobiography. And I think films are probably the same way. I'm not sure that it exactly translates, but I think there's autobiographical things in every film that a filmmaker makes. I mean, you always use your own experiences in a film, whether it's experimental, narrative, or, you know, what have you. Yeah, I agree 100%. Especially as I do most of my, I usually for all my films have written, directed, and then edited them. So they go through like, I call it like three phases with me. The writing phase where it's like, I pull from memories and inspirations and things that are very much in my head. And then the production phase is like, everything's very immediate. It's like based on instinct and immediate decisions. It's like, do I like this frame? Do I like that costume choice? Did I like that performance? Do I want to do it again? So it's very like instinct. And then editing is back to, again, a very like internal personal space of crafting this story um, and building it once again. Yeah. So not all of your films are experimental. You have some narrative ones as well. What made you decide to, you know, mix it up a bit? I mean, narrative and experimental. A lot of people either go one way or the other. Yeah. So my very first film that I made for film school, at least, um, was an experimental film I shot on my phone. It was about balloons and... (laughs) It was uh, just uh, a fun piece that I did. And it was my first thing for film school and also just my first thing that I felt like I did, like involving a lot of outside people. And I turned it in and got critiques and things like that. Um, But my program that I, my undergrad was at Bowling Green State University um, in Ohio. And the program wasn't geared towards experimental. Um, They taught a lot of narrative filmmaking. And I really didn't, even at that time, I was like, fresh out of high school. My school didn't have a film program. My school very much barely had an art program. Um, And like to them, when I was like, I'm going to be a filmmaker, they're like, what? We don't even know how to help you do that. So like um, going to the school, I was kind of very much guided in a pathway to go to narrative. Um, And so a lot of my projects then were very narrative in undergrad. I did another experimental. It was the first film I shot on 16 millimeter. Um, and that was an experimental piece. Um, and then when I got here to OU, it's again, a very narrative driven program. Um, so I've been doing narrative filmmaking and then we had the option to take an experimental film course and I started exploring experimental again. And what I've realized is I have a very fond love and appreciation for both of them. Um, I have come to the conclusion that a lot of my experimental film ideas are images and things that I want to explore in narrative, 
but I just don't know how to incorporate or write them. Um, so it kind of gives me a really great outlet to do both. I can write these stories that I want to tell and these experiences and do that narratively and then go. And if there's a specific image that I just can't get out of my head or a medium that I don't know how to incorporate into film, but I kind of want to do like a lot of my um, recent stuff has been a lot with projection and uh, working with just myself in like a computer and a projector and kind of like learning how to do some stuff with that. Um, and so I don't feel confident enough to put that into a narrative yet. So the experimental process gives me a lot of freedom and a lot of comfortability to figure things out and just play with it in full confidence. I noticed a lot of your films have an element of humor in them. Is that kind of your your personal thing? Is that that's a, a common element that runs through all your films? Yeah, I I feel like I just love laughing. <laughs> And um, I think even when the films are dark, I want the audience to still feel some amount of hope in a way, um, especially with my narrative pieces. Um, and that's where I think the comedy comes from. And that's just like the feeling that I want my audiences to be left with is one that they didn't come and experience a super miserable experience. Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that they come and have a good time and maybe uh, change your perspective a little bit on some things by doing so. Your film, The Goat, was really fun for me. I liked that a lot. Um, and it mixes humor and narrative. And from what I saw, experimental, there's some experimental stuff in there as well. Um, what was your idea and inspiration behind that film? Yeah, so The Goat was my first like big narrative piece Um at OU my first year. It was my last thing I made for the first year. Um, and a lot of like the inspiration for that came um, from my own life, actually. Um, I used to actually work as a maid. So the, like the housekeeping element of that was very much a mixture of a lot of horrible things that I saw when doing that. Um, and then the visuals really came from, I had this image of a woman and a goat on a road just in my brain. And I was like, how do I get them here? And that's kind of how the story built around it was just working on getting to this final moment that I wanted to reach in this image. I think you could have explored the people in the hotel room or the motel room. I think you could have explored that within its own film. Yeah. <laughs> if you could recreate those moments again. I mean, cause that was really bizarre. <laughs> And that's what I love. I love creating like characters and I, to me, no character should just be like a background extra. It's like everyone on screen has a purpose and a meaning. And that's really, gr I'm glad that you said that. Cause it'd be, it, that's what I hope to achieve is that you're like intrigued about these people and want to learn more about them as well. Yeah. You know, especially the, you know, the man and the woman in the motel room and, the funny thing is, I'm a big fan of experimental film, as you might imagine. And mm -hmm. there was a film film made many years ago called Gap-Toothed Women. I don't know if you've ever oh, seen wow. that one. And you know where I'm going with this, I'm sure, because the lady in the motel room had sort of this gap between her front teeth. And as soon as you did that extreme close-up on her, I thought, that. I, don't, I didn't know if you meant it or not, but to me it was an homage to that film because 
there's an entire film dedicated to talking about gap tooth women and that they're sexy, that, that there's this running thing throughout history where women with a gap between their front teeth are considered to be extremely sexy. I mean, think about it. Madonna. Um, there were a couple of models. I can't think of her. Oh, Lauren Hutton. That's her name. She had a gap between her front teeth and it's, it's just an interesting thing. And that's, I zoomed in on that immediately and I thought, oh man, this, this is clever because, you know, to me, it, it kind of brought that to the forefront. I, I don't know. I don't know if that was your goal or not, but I thought it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that film. I will have to check it out. But I I just personally am a huge fan of using people that, to me, I could just see walking down the street. Um, I like people to look as if they would in an everyday situation. Um and what I mean by that is, like, I'm definitely not going to modeling agencies looking for actors. Like, I want people that I could see every day. Um, and and I want people to see, like, on-screen bodies that are, like, of what we see. Like, I want to promote and put out on the screen people that are not these ideal standards, you know, and highlight them for, like, the beauty that they have naturally already i agree with that completely i mean i didn't think the lady was unattractive i mean quite the opposite she looked really cool and uh, i just thought man and seriously at some point you're gonna have to rent another motel room get a couple of actors and really explore that weirdness that was going on in there (laughs) just if nothing else just for me (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'll send that to you yeah so um the other the film that I thought was really intriguing was 2.34 p.m. You're listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess. And now, back to the show. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that one? And, and that one had, you know, I, and I think this is probably a, a theme throughout all your films, at least the ones I've seen. Yes, they they could be narr- narrative, but they're also experimental in some fashion or another. And anyway, just go ahead with the 2.34 p.m. Yeah, so 2.34 p.m. came about me trying to write something that was completely opposite of what I normally write. Um, I usually pumble things with humor. Um, a gro- I love gross things. If you, if you probably saw this by watching my work, I love... I love gross things. I love um, I love making things kind of uncomfortable in a bit because I think sometimes with un- uncomfortability, we can, like, laugh at that. Um, and so 2.34 p.m. was just, like, complete opposite. Um, and it came about for a directing exercise as well where the teacher was assigned us a one-shot. And he's like, yeah, so about two minutes. And I was like, what if I did like a five minute one shot. And he's like, no way you like, you shouldn't focus on that. Like do something, you know, smaller. And I was like, okay. And then I did eight minutes. Um, and it was a piece that I, I came at it looking at a perspective of like a play almost. Um, and I staged it like a play. I put the camera in one stationary position as if we are this audience watching it. Um, and to me, it's very much like a stage and we they are the performers and we are 
watching as the audience this scene unfold. Um, and it was a really great experience working kind of outside my genre in a way and outside the limitations of a normal um, filmmaking situation. It was a heavy, heavy blocking thing for me to figure out since I had to keep us engaged for an eight minute piece where the camera doesn't move. Um, so that was a, and I can't have any place for cuts or anything like that um, since it's supposed to be a one take. Um, so it was a, it was a challenge to make that piece in my honesty. Um, but I'm fairly happy with like how the results turned out. And we only actually shot that four times. Um, since it is eight minutes, it was a lot on the actors. It was strenuous. Um, so we only have four takes of that film. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, on the fourth take is actually the one that it ended up being the take. And I called it then. That's funny. I really liked the, uh, the lady in that she's awesome yeah that is um actually one of the theater professors at the time um i believe she is now retired um but she was um a theater professor at the school and then all the people in it um minus the husband were uh theater students and they were mfa actors as well because there is a really great collaboration happening at ou and between like the fine art departments. We like to work with each other. We like to work on projects together. Um, Especially during COVID, we really have came together with the theater school um, and for their theater productions, helped film them since they couldn't have stage, like people coming and seeing them on stage. So we helped film them and turn them essentially into like feature films um, because of the whole theatrical performance and everything. Yeah, I really liked her in that. She, I could tell that she had experience either on camera or on stage because she knew, you know, where to be and she had a good uh, physicality. So, you know, I knew that she was an experienced person. The Yeah, she was phenomenal. The funny, okay, it's like, you know, I could, I could give you lots of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I thought of when I watched that film, without giving anything away to the audience, I want them to watch all these fresh themselves, but the part where they said, um, does he have a DNR? No. Well, then they were going to resuscitate the guy. And so I wanted, I wanted so bad for them just to go nuts and do crazy things. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh man, if I could have called you a few days before you made that (laughs) and I could have seen him because I'm sure you rehearsed it. Um, you know, I want (laughs) to do what I'm sorry. I said we did it many times because oh. eight minutes of choreography. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it came off really well. I mean, I liked it as it is, but I'm just, I was wanting for the, I, like I said, I don't want to give anything away, but the one guy, when he, mm-hmm. when he puts the man down on the floor, I want him to just kind of go nuts and do crazy stuff, you know, like blah, 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 <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, you know, and pretend to, pretend to shock the guy like, clear and just pretend to go ka-chunk, you know, something like that. Just, I mean, because the, you know, the, the guy's dead. So I, I think it would have been funny for them just to kind of play with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's just, that was just me. I was like, oh man, um, you, you know, and if you don't do that, I'm totally going to steal that idea from myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I really liked that. I, I thought that was a lot of fun and it was, it was clever and like I said, the the actor, the lady actor in that was just 
phenomenal because she just, I mean, she had such a presence and it, you know, it was almost like, it's almost like she didn't know the camera was there. That's what was so cool about it. Yeah. And I, I was trying to really go for a fly in the wall perspective. Um, just kind of like how when in theater, they don't really typically acknowledge the audience and we're almost become like we are becoming into the, we go into the shadows and we just, we get to be just very observational um, during those situations. And I feel like when we are off the chain cameras um, and we get to cut to different angles and things like that, we are less observational and more of like a character. Um, and so this was, yeah, it was a choice to be very much disengaged in a way. Yeah. I like that voyeuristic kind of viewpoint, you know, in fact, I thought, mm-hmm. I thought maybe we were the television watching them or something, you know, and I like the ambient lighting and it was just, it was just really cool. I, I thought that was a kind of a mini masterpiece, you know, I, I really liked that film. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, so I hope you got a good grade on it. <laughs> I did. I got a good grade on it. Good. Yeah. Cause that was, th- that's impressive. I really liked that. But anyway, um, so you do animations as well. Mm-hmm. Very, very rough ones, but I'm working at them. <laughs> but that's okay. I, I really like the, I, I'm sorry. I can't think of the name of it. It's the lips. Oh, uh, when she speaks. Yes. Yeah. That was really cool. I like the, um, is that a poem or a story that's being read in the background? Yeah. So that was actually another class project because still a film student. So pretty much anything I make, I'm like, okay, I turn it in for a grade. <laughs> um, and so when she speaks was actually, I was in a queer feminist cinema course um, where we have the option to either write a very long paper or write a shorter paper and then do a creative project. And being a filmmaker, I was like, I'm going to make a movie. Uh, and so, um, this was at like the peak of quarantine. Um, it was when we were very much like restricted. We were not supposed to go out. It was, um, during that portion of COVID. Um, and so I was like, okay, I have to make a movie, but I have to make it by myself essentially. Um, so I wrote this poem and then I was like, okay, I don't want to do hand-drawn animation because I was actually in an animation course and I was already doing hand-drawn animation at that time and I was like no way no how um so I did the stop motion and then I had a performer read the poem and perform it and record it and send it back to me um and then I just kind of edited and spliced it all together that way but I made that sitting at my kitchen table um using my roommate's DSLR and some photo lights that my parents gave me for like three days straight, just taping down the paper before I went to bed. So my cat didn't move it. Um, but it was a fun experience to do. Yeah. I really liked that. I'm, I'm a stop motion freak and I've never made one myself, at least not a very long one, you know, maybe a few seconds, but that's, um, that's an accomplishment to do that. I really, I really enjoyed that. That was very engaging. Thank you. Yeah, it was, I've done like little bits and bops. So it was my longest one that I've done. Um, and I'm, I'm happy with how it turned out. Um, there's definitely like, uh, looking at every piece of work that you do, there's always things that I'm like, oh, I wish I could have done this or I wish I would have thought of that. But I'm really happy with how it turned out. And I cut the paper and made all those things myself. Um, so it just was, I thought overall was a really great experience. 
Yeah, I really enjoy that. That's why this this whole thing that you've done, your body of work so far, this is the whole reason why I wanted to put, like, um, give students a break in the Experimental Film Fest and also make a separate student award because I really enjoy talking with, interacting with, and watching student work because, to me, it's inspirational because... I know that a lot of young filmmakers are in film school, but you also have kind of a more freedom and more exploratory feelings about film and the medium in, in general. I, th I think there's less restriction on what you do. Do you feel that way? I agree. I really, in like, since I'm also teaching the undergrad um, film students here at OU too, as a grad student, I TA. Um, slash instruct some stuff um, I my students still inspire me um, even though I'm I'm only two years essentially ahead of them in a way um, but they really truly inspire me and it's to me the it's the idea of that they don't have the pressure yet of it needing to like pay the bills or <laughs> like um, doing it as a career it's still just like the freedom of the true art form um, and I really hope I never lose that. I really love the experimentation and the freedom to just not have the pressure that this needs to be the best thing I've ever created. Like, there's always going to be another movie, so let this one be at the level it needs to be um, is kind of like my perspective on it. And I think that's really freeing uh, as a filmmaker. It is. And, you know, like you say, I hope you don't lose that. And I hope all filmmakers take that to heart, whoever listens to this, because it's that, I don't know if you'd call it an innocence, but it's it's a lack of needing to adhere to the rules. I mean, everybody knows about the rule of thirds and don't cross the line and don't break the fourth wall, blah, blah, blah. You know what? So what? So what if you do those things? You're not, um, you know, this is, it's it's an expression. It's art. It's not supposed to make sense. That's why I like experimental film. It, it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to follow rules. It doesn't have to be what you expect it to be. You know, glue moth parts to film. You know, smash yeah. flowers and, and whatever it is you smash onto film, draw on it, whatever. You know, do something that's unexpected and, and keep it that way. Yeah, exactly. And when I was doing the 16 millimeter, sadly, we can't do it this year because of COVID. But when I was teaching that course, my students would sometimes they'd be like in the in the flatbed and they'd be like watching their film back and they'd be like, oh, my gosh, I crossed the 180. And I'd be like, it doesn't matter. And they're like, but you said and I was like, those are rules, but rules are meant to be broken. And I think we need to remember that is that they're just rules. And this is a freedom of choice and art form. And it's we don't have to follow them. They're there, but we don't have to acknowledge it or follow it. Yeah. I mean, if, if there were no rule breakers, there would be no progress, I think. I mean, think about it. Think about, I mean, the very first, well, let's say Amelia Earhart and the, the women flyers of the 1930s. If they weren't breaking the rules, if they listened to everybody and said, oh, you know, only men can be pilots. Well, you know, they wouldn't have existed if they go, you're right. We, we can't fly. We need to stay on the ground and, you know, do whatever, you know, it's people who 
break the rules who are really responsible for progress, whether it's flying or filmmaking or art or whatever. Exactly. And that's, I think, just something that's very important to keep in mind when creating. And I don't think people have to follow rules, even if you make commercials or, you know, commercial film projects or whatever. I think I think that there are some rules of, you know, certain rules that, that you want to adhere to. I mean, you want a story, but I mean, look at Quentin Tarantino, his mm-hmm. his films, you know, that nonlinear style. Um, I mean, you know. That's why he's Quentin Tarantino is because he, he does things different and he doesn't necessarily follow all the rules. He kind of does whatever the heck he wants to do and it's worked out for him. Exactly. And I think that's just a great lens and framework to look at filmmaking. And it is what it boils down to. I know it is a filmmaking in general is a very like commercialized industry. Um, same with the entertainment industry, but it's, it's still at heart is art and it's self-expression. Yeah, I mean, why not use Dutch angles in a commercial? Why not shoot somebody from the back? I mean, why not, you know, why not do something a little bit different? I mean, the whole thing about commercials and commercial filmmaking is you want it to be remembered. Well, if you think about all the films that you really remember and all the the significant pieces of art that you ever remember, did they break the rules or did they adhere to the rules? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think that's what people have to think about. I mean, if I were a professor, I think I would be very inspiring to my students because I would just, you know, I would just say, let's go out and just do something. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be real. It doesn't have to feel good. What it has to be is your creativity. I mean, you know, uh, what if somebody told Picasso, no, the nose has to be in the middle of the face. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he wouldn't be Picasso. So always keep that. Please always keep that. I know you have to, you know, pay the bills and, and do things the way other people want to do them. But, but help help your customers think outside the box with you. Bring them outside the box. That's That's my message for you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope it works out <laughs> because I, I, I really think it's time that, that uh, you know, free thinkers and uh, people who are very creative, they don't get burned out, you know, trying to make a buck and, you know, pay your rent and stuff. I, I, I want people to stay creative because that's the way, if you think about it, the experimental things today are actually tomorrow's mainstream. So off my soapbox now, who are your (laughs) inspirational filmmakers and which films are your favorites? Yeah. So filmmakers, I really love Andrea Arnold. Um, She is, I say, one of my most inspirational um, filmmakers. Um, I'm also like, I love like the dark movies I love crime, so I'm like, I love David Fincher. <laughs> um, and some films that I really, really enjoy, like, I, like, Napoleon Dynamite to me is, like, my favorite film in all existence. Um, I really enjoy that film a lot. <laughs> um, I like uh, Fargo is really good. Um, Seven is also another film that I really, really enjoy. 
and yeah I for a filmmaker I'm like I seem like I feel like I have very like um basic films that I enjoy in a way but um that's just kind of I guess my taste profile when it comes to what I want to watch but then when I want to whatever I want to make it's like kind of opposite of those in a way well there's nothing basic about Coen Brothers movies uh, (laughs) I'm glad (laughs) yeah and uh, you know I I think those are good inspirations Uh, I I like those as well Um, but do you have any favorite experimental films or filmmakers Um, uh, Un Andalou which was Salvador Dali's, I believe, was involved in that one. Um, you pr- I, do you know which film I'm talking about? Yes, for sure. Okay. That was one of the first experimental films I had ever seen. And that film is, to my like to this day, like one of my favorite experimental like experiences and films all around. Um, yeah. I also saw it at the Nashville Art Museum. It played there. I saw it there. That was really awesome. Yeah, I like... Um... I like those older experimental films like that. Um, you know, gosh. Uh, and, and usually everyone points to like Stan Brackage or mm-hmm. know, um, Maya Darren and so on. Yeah, those are, you know, great films and great filmmakers. But, you know, Salvador Dali, that's a, that's a great one to be inspired by. You know, Andy Warhol films. Um, mm-hmm. Gosh, I can't even think of some others right offhand who have, have turned me on but um you know the ones on the criterion channel are really awesome i watch the criterion channel all the time looking for new experimental films and artists and so on and a lot of them have passed on of course but there are still some uh great experimental filmmakers who are still with us and still going strong so i i would suggest that uh everyone not just you but everyone check them out yeah definitely yeah, and I would say Meshes in the Afternoon was also, Meshes of the Afternoon, excuse me, was also, like, by uh, Maya Darren was a huge influence in me as well. Um, that one was fairly in early in my film career. I watched that one as well. And so those are two films that were more so my introduction into the experimental film world. Yeah, I'm going to do, at some point, I'm going to do a spoof on that one because I have mm-hmm. a great, I have a great, idea it's parallel it's a parallel spoof i call it um it's it's going to use all the same elements pretty much except just a little bit different (laughs) should be should be a lot of fun if anybody's ever seen the original they should love mine at least i hope that's the that's the hope so um are you involved in any local film groups or meetups or other film related activities um so currently with being in the grad school Um, We kind of have our program and that's kind of who I'm in touch with. But I do uh, do like pre-screening and work for the Athens International Film and Video Fest. Um, So that's mainly my uh, meetup and group area outside of the filmmakers that I immediately go to school with. Um, And so that's kind of my involvement is in that. And then I've recently kind of started diving into the world of virtual reality and like virtual reality filmmaking um so i've started to work with like the media school over there um and exploring that a bit more oh that's very cool i like that i haven't uh i haven't gotten into any of that myself i've I've seen a few things but that's really interesting so what are you working on now if you can tell us 
Yeah, so I just came out of production of my thesis film, um, which is titled Pancakes Pasture. Um, It is a narrative. It is a dark comedy narrative about a teenager in the 90s. Um, Her name's Tyler, and she is exploring um, this reoccurring dream she has of a woman in a bathtub in the woods, um, and the dream causes her to pee the bed. So she's trying to figure out what this dream means, so she'll stop peeing the bed. Um, And that's kind of the gist of the story. And then I am uh, working on a VR film that I can't really go too much into detail about, um, but I am working on it as the assistant director, um, and that should be going into production this May. Very cool. Well, I actually, I'm glad I muted because I was laughing the whole time you were talking about your thesis film. So (laughs) I would have totally disrupted your flow there. So uh, no pun intended on the the P thing. (laughs) (laughs) So do you have a website or a YouTube channel that you can tell us about? Yeah, my YouTube channel is just my name. It is Keisha Martin. Um, I think it's a picture of me holding coffee should pop up. Um, Yeah, and I do not have a website yet. That is something I need to get on. (laughs) Come on, everybody has a website. Yeah, you need to get that. So (laughs) go today and reserve KeishaMartin.com or or KeishaMartinFilms.com, whatever you call your uh, film productions, so that you can get that. Definitely. (laughs) Well, it was great to have you on. I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I hope it was a good experience for you. Oh, it was. Thank you so much, Ken, for having me. It's been awesome. No problem. And uh, once you get to Nashville, if you uh, do something cool and want to let me know about it, please, I'd love to have you back on. For sure. For sure. Great. And thank you for joining us for the sixth episode of season two of the Experimental Film Podcast. Our guest today was filmmaker Keisha Martin. Please contact me if you'd like to schedule an interview, sponsor the podcast, or point me to some cool experimental films. And we'll see you next time. If you would like to sponsor a podcast or schedule an interview, send an email to ken at experimentalfilm.info. Thanks for listening to the Experimental Film Podcast with Ken Hess.